I'll stay on the porch Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Where you get that from? Grab a mic, spit one Let me hit that blind Pimp C, 8 ball and MJG Keep spitting that B to the IMP Bun B, that's Texas, baby Ballin' G, that's Memphis, baby Short dog that Business and Buckets Episode 119 coming at you on this beautiful Thursday evening in the desert post-Super Bowl weekend. What a chaotic weekend it was. Waste management, the Phoenix Open, Super Bowl Sunday. Everywhere I drove, it was luxury cars, uh, lots of money. Nothing could make me feel more broke than that weekend with all the, the people and the money around the city. And had some friends from Seattle come visit. A great time that was. I don't think I recovered till yesterday and my voice is still recovering. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a fun one. An amazing game. Won some money on some parlays. So can't get too upset about that. But before we jump into the MMA world, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. And that is Fueled Supplements. So if it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Fueled Supplements' newest post-creatine, uh, newest product, creatine monohydrate. So why do you guys want to take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. You get 100 servings. It's non-GMO. It's gluten-free, safe, and effective. You guys already know the deal. Head to FueledSupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S, for 15% off. While shopping small business, because, you know, people helping people, that's what it's all about. So we're at episode 119. I can't believe it, man. On the hills. Of course, it was Super Bowl Sunday, but an amazing, amazing UFC pay-per-view. The pound-for-pound champ on the line. But before we recap, give you guys my thoughts. There are some things that have happened around the MMA world. We have some fights booked. We got that action. We got Bryce Mitchell, Jonathan Pierce on May 6th. That should be a great one. Jonathan Pierce been up on the ranks. Bryce Mitchell, how does he rebound after a loss? Anthony Smith, Johnny Walker. Anthony Smith recently uh, weighing as the backup, although he didn't make weight. Don't know if that affects his pay as a, a backup fighter. But he's taken on the up-and-coming Johnny Walker, the once very highly sought prospect, um, a week after on May 13th. So heading into the summer, we got some bangers. Clay Guida still at it, man. Taking on Rafa, Rafa Garcia April 15th. Chris Barnett, Chase Sherman, UFC 287. The big dog's going down on the pay-per-view. And then, sadly, local train, uh, MMA lab. And um, he trains with uh, Tim Welch in his gym as well. Kyler Phillips out. So insert Davey Grant against Rafael Asuncao March 11th. It's a bummer. Uh, Kyler's had a couple uh, fights get canceled. Um, would love to see him back in the octagon. We get Odie Osborne getting a new opponent as well. Charles, insert Charles Johnson, February 25th. That should be a really fun flyweight affair. 
Speaking of subs, we just had a bunch this week. We had Mateusz Gamrot subbing in and taking on Jalen Turner, the tarantula, UFC 285, as uh, Dan Hooker broke his hand. Jim Miller taking a very, very short notice fight. The savvy veterans fighting the young stud Alexander Hernandez. We'll break that down today. We have KL Baralho taking on Michael Osholashek on April 29th. A veteran, veteran affair, Matt Brown, Court McGee, May 13th. And Nathan uh, Nathaniel Wood had to withdraw in his fight against Leron Wur- Murphy due to injury. So we're going to try to find an opponent for Leron Murphy. And last but not least, Jessica Andrade stepping in for the main event this weekend, uh, subbing in for Talia Santos, and she looks to continue her tear against non-champs. And uh, deservedly so, Jens Pulver introduced into the UFC Hall of Fame, a legend of the sport, and just recently announced Laura Senko will be on the commentary crew for this weekend's card. And shout out to my guy here in Arizona, Bryce Meredith, Misfit Meredith, signing with Bellator. He'd been struggling in the circuit to find some fights. He was fighting for LFA, gets a Bellator contract. He's fighting Brandon Corolla, uh, Bellator 293. That'll be happening soon. It'll be great to see Bryce try to rack up some wins and see what he can do in the MMA world. And... You know, we talked about the game bread boxing um, card that's happening. Well, Jose Aldo is a sought after man. Floyd Mayweather Jr. is confirming that he agreed to box Jose Aldo in an exhibition later this year. The, f- the things are getting finalized in that exhibition. So Jose Aldo, um, a sought after uh, boxer post MMA career. Uh, I'm really excited to see how he does in the boxing world. But Enough of that fill-in stuff. Let's talk UFC 284. I went 7-2 and two in my picks on this card. Should have went 8-1. and one. Um, But some fights we didn't break down. Uh, nice wins by Jamie Malarkey. Kledson Rodriguez with an impressive first-round knockout. And Josh Kulabau with a second-round submission. Tyson Pedro getting the victory as well. But we're going to start where we broke it down in the early prelims where Blake Builder had a unanimous decision over Shane Young. And this was a very Blake Builder fight. Welcome to the UFC. You got to do what you got to do to get the dub. He made this a wrestling bout, a grinded out, uh, out cardio affair. And Shane Young trains at City Kickboxing. He trains with high-level athletes, and he is, is the local guy. Well, Blake was able to outdo him. He landed 126 total strikes. 111 of those significant and had the one takedown, although seven attempts. I, as a fight fan, can't really remember seven attempts there, but we'll, we'll take it. Their, their takedown attempts and takedowns are kind of funny how they score them sometimes. Meanwhile, Shane landed 81 total, so quite a bit less. 80 significant. He was 0 for 3 and takedowns himself. So Blake stays undefeated, 1-0 in the UFC, technically 2-0 with this Contender Series fight. He extends his winning streak to eight. He did have a draw in between that. Um, Shane extends his losing streak to three, and he has not won since February of 2019. He is 2-4 in the UFC. Welcome to the big show, Blake Builder. You don't see a 32-year-old Contender Series alum very often, but he is proving that he deserved to be it and got to do a big Perth pay-per-view opener. Uh, I think it was the second bout on the night. So what's next? I would love to see Blake take on Luis Saldana. 
And how about Shane versus Charles Rosa? Those sound like great fights if you ask me. Moving to the main card. We got Jimmy Crute with the majority decision. Um, or no, not a majority decision. A majority draw against Alonzo Menefield. That's why I said I should have went eight and one because I did uh, pick Jimmy Crute, but ended up with the draw. And really the reason for the draw, there was a point reduction in the third round. Alonzo Menefield got blast double-legged by Jimmy up against the cage. Clearly grabbed the cage to make sure he didn't fall down. And um, deservedly so, the judge said, hey, you know, that's the difference between a takedown in the third round where Jimmy's been grinding you out. That's a point. And uh, obviously the judges thought that Alonzo should have won the fight going into that. Uh, the first round, Alonzo did work, almost finished Jimmy in his first fight back in action in quite some time. And then Jimmy made it a wrestling fight, made it a dog fight. But the pace that these dudes, some big dudes, were doing, going at it in the first round. You, you knew it was going to be a fun one coming in it, but I, I was very impressed and was surprised they were able to last, although they were gassed, but last for three rounds. Statistically, Jimmy landed 62 total, 31 significant strikes. He had six takedowns and 12 attempts and three submission attempts as well. Alonzo, a little bit higher volume, 99 total, 56 of those significant, and he had two, two takedowns of his own. So Jimmy is now 0-2-1 in his last three fights. He has not won since October of 2020. Pretty brutal. He does stay at number 12 in the rankings. And Alonzo has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. So what's next for these big dogs? I would love to see Jimmy take on Khalil Roundtree Jr. Uh, that would be a blast. And Alonzo versus Nikolai Nigramaranu. Either way, it'll be fun to see these guys back at the octagon. It was a fun fight, although the draw... But it seems like the um, grabbing the fence in the third round, Alonzo should have just went with the takedown. What ifs? Now we have Justin Taffa with a round one knockout over Parker Porter. And originally I had picked Justin Taffa, went back to Parker once I was breaking it down uh, pre-last episode. And for some reason wanted to go Parker. And uh, Justin Taffa, slight work. Um, I mean, he just landed a big shot, right? Landed a big shot, sat Parker down, was able to finish up, get the judge to call the fight. It only took him eight total insignificant strikes. Parker landed seven total insignificant himself. So Justin now extends his winning streak to two. Parker extends his losing streak to two. And I would love to see Toffa square up against fan favorite Chris Barnett, but he just got booked. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. And for Parker, I think a square up against Jake Collier is the fight to make. And then the electricity, you know, this was a decent card, USC 284, but these last three fights, this is what you're tuning in for. This is why it's worth paying for. And I had gone out Saturday night with my friends, so I did not get to watch the fights live. I think I watched up to the Alonzo fight. And then I had bought the pay-per-view and had a, I rewatched them back the next day. And then we had Jake Della Maddalena. The hometown kid with a first-round submission via rear naked choke over Randy Brown. Give him performance of the night. Give him that 50 Gs. And, uh, you know, th this one definitely didn't go the way I thought it would. I thought it would be uh, a few rounds of scrappiness. But Jack landed an overhand right that just sat Randy d down. And Randy's been in some wars. So it just shows the pure raw power that, Rand uh, that Jack has. And I thought Randy was going to keep him more at distance. 
He is so much longer than most fighters in that weight class. Maybe use some kicks up the middle, keep Jack back, not allow him to come through with that power. Jack was able to get in the flow early. He landed 18 total strikes, 14 of those significant. Obviously, he had the submission attempt and knockdown. And Randy landed 11 total insignificant strikes. So very, very impressive against a high-level fighter like Randy Brown to let him only land 11 total strikes. So Jack extends his winning streak to 14. He is 5-0 in the UFC. He moves into the top 15 at number 14. Welcome, Jack. And he is going to be talked about for quite some time. And I cannot see, wait to see who, who he gets up next. And for Randy, he had his impressive four-fight winning streak come to an end. Just like that. Starts a new losing streak. So I would love to see Jack versus Jorge Masvidal. But I don't think Jorge would take a fight like that. So I'm going to say Jack Della Madalena, Neil Magny, book it. And for Randy, he could fight Alex Morano, another uh, a guy that's been scratching the surface of the top 15. That would be one hell of a scrap. For the co-main featherweight interim championship on the line, we had Yair Rodriguez, El Pantera, with a second round submission via arm triangle over Josh Emmett, performance of the night, given that 50 racks. And boy, do I love watching Yair Rodriguez. I liked watching him a couple fights before he fought BJ Penn. You know, BJ Penn was way past his, his days of fighting uh, when Yair came and beat him. But just the style, the story, he's kind of a nobody. He, he just goes, travels the country, goes to random gyms, does his thing. Uh, uh, just lives a different life than uh, what I'm accustomed to. But his fighting style is fantastic. And the only way, not the only way, but the best way to victory that I saw was the, would be the kicks. And boy, did he fire some kicks. I was watching it the next day. We were hungover with my buddies. And those kicks and the speed to the high, high head fucking question mark kicks are unbelievable. And I really enjoyed the announcing on this fight. I thought Michael Bisbeing, the post-fight interviews, one of the best jobs he's done to this point. I'm not a huge fan of Bisbeing on the mic a lot of the times, but you could tell he's putting in work. Uh, you see him on his podcast. He's doing other people's podcasts. He did Sean O'Malley's recently. He's staying fit. He's in a routine. He's a family man, and he takes his work and life seriously, and you could really see that because I, I feel like he's really stepped up. And Dominic Cruz, like I've always said, I think is one of the most savviest guys talking about the fight's breaking it down in a fighter's perspective and making the fans understand it because sometimes a fighter can say stuff that's over a generic fan's head. And I like when they hit all le levels. The introductory fan, the casual fan, the diehard, when you can hit all of those. But he really did say it best. Yair is a one-of-one. One. There is no other Yair Rodriguez. He, he has not developed his game over anybody. He, he is Yair Rodriguez. Um, and I think he put himself in some spots. You know, he's doing the flying knees. He's doing the craziness. And Josh got some takedowns, but he could not keep Yair down. Yair is really good at getting back up. And I had watched some uh, previous fights of these guys to really pick a winner because I thought it was that close. I watched Josh Emmett's fight against Calvin Cater. And I watched Yair's against my guy, Max Holloway. And I forgot how Yair came out so fiercely round one. And how he just goes with the, you know, he'll go out with the fucking shield. You know, he, he, he'll he go out doing whatever he got to do. And he was a little risky in here. And I thought that uh, Josh might uh, have it pay off. 
But one of the body kicks that he landed, I mean, he landed multiple in the same spot, but the one where Josh's whole right side went red, I was like, man, there is something that, that like, you know, not saying his body's going to shut down, but he he's feeling that. And I wanted him to keep going to it and use his kicks. But Yair was able to find a way. Props to him on getting back up. Even though he was taken down, he was taking some risks, some calculated risks. But I would have never guessed he would finish Josh Emmett in round two the way he did. Bravo, El Pantera. He landed 98 total strikes, 62 of those significant. He had the submission attempt as well. Josh only landed 35 total, 22 of those significant strikes, and he had one takedown and four attempts. And he did have some big right hand overs. You know, he's like, he, he, he kind of has that Michael Chandler fl flurry shots about him that could sit anybody down. He landed a couple, uh, but Yair is just so hard to hit. And I knew that coming in. And when Yair's got those kicks working, and especially that early, he's, he's taking body shots, head shots, it's going to be hard to beat El Pantera. Yair extends his winning streak to two. Josh has his five fight winning streak come to an end. He does start a new losing streak. And he does stay at number five in the rankings. And as I assumed, you know, Josh is and is getting towards his later 30s. Um, I just wish that he could have had this opportunity a little bit earlier in his career. But what's next? I mean, I think we get a re rematch of the pound for pound, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. But I would love to see Yair versus Brian Ortega like we were supposed to get. Because uh, Brian had a shoulder pop out and ended early. I think... You know, that, that's another toss-up. I mean, the both guys been through adversity, had time off, have shown glimpses of being the best in the world. Um, so if Brian's ready, let, let's make that shit happen. If he isn't, uh, things get really interesting. What do you do? Especially if Volk doesn't fight Yair. If Volk does the pound-for-pound -pound rematch, do they give him Holloway again, which is another rematch? You know, we're just logjam up at the top of this division. Um, Arnold Allen could have been there, but he's hurt. Brutal timing for that young lad. And uh, Yair already beat the Korean Zombie. So would they give someone like Giga? Elia Tor Topiria is probably the most deserving at that point. Shit gets really interesting. The featherweight division, they needed some new blood. Um, Yair's a start, but Volk might fight back in there. And Arnold Allen finally could have got a shot, but he's hurt. So uh, quite interesting. And for Josh, I would love to see him uh, potentially in a retirement fight with the Korean Zombie. Let those two dance. I think that would be a banger. But moving on to the main event of the evening, Islam Makhachev, unanimous decision over Alexander Volkanovsky, fight of the night. I mean, you know, they, they, a lot of people said there was not enough marketing for this. If you're a fight fan, you don't need the marketing for this. I do think they undermarketed it. At the end of the pay-per-view, they already uh, hyped up the new John Jones, Cyril Gaon UFC. And I'm already like, well, they're already getting plugged in for that. They didn't for this fight. But in Perth, pound for pound on the line, in my mind, it's like if, if Volkanovsky can't beat Islam, who is, who is going to beat Islam in the near future at lightweight? I just don't see it happening. And, I, you know, I didn't watch this live. I was out that night. I didn't look at my phone, but I did see the result. And I did see that Joe Rogan and those crew, I didn't know they were doing a fight companion, Brendan Schaub and them, thought that Volkanovsky should have won. So immediately, I want Volk to win. And I think that watching it the first time, I had some biases. And I, I'm trying to score it, but I was just trying to be a fan and enjoy the fight, right, the first time. For the first time, I thought Volk had won. 
And I really did think that he pulled it off. Watching it back the second time, I had to watch it back, and I, I looked specifically at scoring. I did have Islam winning. Um, I thought round one potentially was Volk the first time, but I gave round one to Islam the second time. I thought Islam, uh, Islam won uh, rounds one, two, Volkanovski potentially three, four probably Islam, and Volk clearly five. And obviously, the championship rounds are important. Uh, Volkanovski finished on a high note. But I honestly think Volk getting that eye cut, you know, gave the damaging moments to Islam. But what makes this fight super hard to judge is a lot of those moments were maybe immediately when uh, Islam had been knocked down, Volk had been down to the knee. You thought those were like big shots, but they really weren't. I feel like the one shot Islam had where is or Volk had where Islam fell down wasn't even nothing. It was like he tripped, which was weird. So um, very weird circumstances. The fight went how you expected it to. And I love round one. He gets taken down. Volk's, you know, chilling on the sideline, hyping up the fans. The I think round three, he's called him a little bitch. Like, come on, man, let's fight. Let me go. You know you're holding on for dear life. But the fact that Volkanovsky out-cardioed Islam and made him that tired and beat him up that bad, I mean, Volkanovsky's right there. If they rematch, I think there's a chance that Volkanovsky wins unless somehow he... You know, it's like a Dragon Ball Z saga where he woke up the beast and now he's going to go Super Saiyan 2 or something. Um, but I was, you know, as a fight fan, you just have to sit back and enjoy the moment sometimes. And I'm glad I uh, paid for the pay-per-view, even though knowing the result for watching it the first time kind of loses its luster. But every time Volk got up, Perth was going nuts. You know, Islam has him down. Perth is losing its shit. Um, it was just a really cool environment. I love seeing those crowds. Perth showed out. You could see all the city kickboxing up close there too. And, um, you know, Islam, I think, uh, he, he showed how well he can do things. I mean, he showed a little bit of striking, not as much as I would have liked. I wish he didn't want to wrestle him so much, but that's because he respects Volkanovsky and Volkanovsky was piecing him up a little bit. Um, but again, the cardio of Volkanovsky, I feel like he could have went two more rounds right away. Um, I could understand why they want to rematch this. You know, it's going to hold up the divisions, give new blood a different chance. But is anybody going to... I mean, I love Yair, but he's not being beaten Volk. I love Dustin Poirier, but is he beating Islam? Probably not, right? So give this one more, run it back fairly quickly, if possible. If not, let them fight in their divisions, and maybe it'll be a super fight in the future. But I do think they re, they run it back. And, you know, Volk's on an impressive terror uh, 22 fight win streak. Why not? Why not just let him? I, I'm sure he's fiending to get it again. Statistically, Islam landed 95 total, 57 significant strikes. He did have four takedowns and nine attempts, left less than 50. percent Alex had 164 total and 70 of those significant. So quite a bit of volume on both sides. He was 0 for 4 in takedown attempts and had one knockdown. So they credited uh, him for the knockdown, but not a takedown. I feel like he reversed, had a reversal of some sort of takedown, if I remember right. Um, but Volk, yeah, 22 fight winning streak to an end. He suffers his first UFC loss. Him and Israel Adesanya could just talk about, you know, going for champ champ. And obviously Volkanovski is a little bit more attainable with the 10 pound difference. Uh, Israel had to do a, you know, a 24. 30-pound difference, uh, which is quite a bit different. But they, they both attempted it, still badasses, and both were, you know, sh showed their heart.
Islam extends his winning streak to 12. He has now, in a short UFC span, beaten the pound-for-pound number three and number one in the world. And they did leave Volkanovski in the pound-for-pound number one. And I'm not mad at it. You want it, Islam? Come run it back. Um, Before I move on, though, I do have to mention the Dan Hooker acquisitions of Islam Makachev taking an IV to rehydrate. Uh, There's images of him having like a clear IV entrance point. Volkanovski vouched for it on the MMA hour when it was brought up. I'm not sure what the repercussions are of something like that, but that does need to be looked into if that is not allowed. I, I really don't know a lot about that. I haven't heard a lot about that. It does make sense. And uh, <laughs> if he did do that, you know, there, there might be some serious repercussions. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, Ali, his manager, said, you know, you're allowed to do one to two liters, which makes it seem like Islam did do it. And supposedly that's way off to the actual ruling. But the Australian um, Athletic Commission is different. The ruling, I don't know. There's just so many things when you go international, different commissions, different ruling. Um, You know, does him hydrating with an IV keep him going in that fifth round where he doesn't get finished, right? I mean, there's so many different things that could come into play here. To me, until it's true, I just, there's too many things on the internet that surface. And I I don't think Dan Hooker would lie on the sake of lying and call him a dumb cunt coming to Australia and, and trying to do that. But, uh, here at Business and Buckets, we just go on what, what's factual, right? We don't go into, we are not conspiracy theorists here. We don't have time for that shit. I have a full-time job. I, I watch a lot of fights. I do a lot of things. I don't have a lot of extra time or energy to waste in the hypotheticals. But that's crazy if that's what, what happened. And it, is, has he done it before? That could be quite interesting. Either way, I want to see the rematch. Let's make that shit happen. If not, obviously, it'll be Volk and Yair. And I think you got to do Dustin and Islam. Either way, what a showdown of two all-time greats. Some of the best quality of talent the UFC has ever put out in one, you know, at the octagon at one time. Which, again, as, as a huge fight fan, I talked, like, towards the end of the year, I feel like we had card after card just fucking stacked. Great, great performance. Yair's performance... Jack Della ended it early. We got a five-round affair, although it wasn't quite as, you know, it was wrestling, then striking, wrestling, then striking. Now we get this card, another just sloppy fight night card. Again, short notice main event. Thank God Andrade saved the main event. But we have UFC Fight Night Vegas 69. Uh, Main card starts at 4 p.m. Pacific on ESPN+. And some decent fights early on. We have Jamal Emmers taking on a 23-0 Kusain. Askabov, who is an American top team guy, and he was the World Warriors fighting champion. So, you know, I'll, I'll watch that fight. I recommend you guys, if, you, if you're really trying to see what fights to watch, it's a fight to watch. But we're going to break it down in the prelims where we have Ovince, OSP, St. Peru, the 39-year-old fighter with a 29-16 and 16 record, taking on Felipe Monstro Linz. 37 years old with a 15-5 and five record. Now, this fight was supposed to happen at the end of 2022, but now we get it rebooked. Two big dogs squaring up. I expect a fun back-and-forth striking affair. But although this card might be a little lackluster, we do get a lot of heavyweight showdowns here. So you want to see some wicked knockouts and some fucking heat thrown? We're going to see it on this, although these guys are light heavyweight. 
We got some big dogs this weekend at the apex too. Some big dogs in the small octagon. That's that's deadly. Now, when we look at this one, OSP is a brown belt in BJJ. He is a strike force and XFC alum. The old XFC days. I don't know if many people remember those or care about those, but I loved that. We had Shane Carwin in the UFC. There was some guy that was hyped up from XFC. XFC. That's when like Zions was a, a popular energy drink. And uh, he was also a King of the Cage light heavyweight tournament champion. Clearly, if you know anything about OSP, he has the most Von Flu choke submission victories in UFC history with four. He's tied for the third most submission victories in UFC light heavyweight division history with five. So five of his four, four of his five submissions on the Von Flu choke. He has the second most stoppage wins in UFC light heavyweight history with 11. He's tied with Shogun for the most bouts in UFC light heavyweight history with 23. He's on a one-fight winning streak, but has only fought twice since 2020. Definitely, you know, both these guys, but especially OSP, probably close to his, his way out. 12 of his 26 wins are via knockout, 8 via submission, so 20 of his 26 wins via finish. And he does have a two and a half inch leg reach advantage. Now, Felipe trains out of ATT. He is a black belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator and PFL alum. And he won the PFL uh, tournament in 2018. A milli, a milli. He's on a one fight winning streak, which was his only fight since 2020. And that was uh, his light heavyweight return. Eight of his 15 wins are via knockout. Four of his five losses are also via knockout. Now, I think this is going to be a dog fight, man. I think it's going to get scrappy. I would be surprised if this one went to the judges' scorecards. It's a tough fight to pick, but I'm going to go with the younger fighter. Um, OSP, it's hard for him to get through three rounds from what I've seen lately. For that reason, I'm taking Monstro Lins. I'll put that guy on my parlay. I'm marking him down. And we getting that bread. Gotta keep rolling over from Super Bowl, you know what I'm saying? Now we get Lena, the elbow queen, Landsberg. 40 years old with a 10-7 and seven record. And the number 12 next to her name. Taking on Myra Shitara Bueno Silva. 31 years old with a 9-2-1 record. And the number 14 next to her name. Here we get some ranked veterans, some women that are just savvy veterans going at it in the prelims. I think style-wise, it should be a fun one. And much like OSP, this could potentially be Lena's last fight. Lena has a Muay Thai and boxing background. She is a Muay Thai champion in 28 and tw- uh, two th- 28, 2008 and 2012. She was the 2019 Female Fighter of the Year from the Nordic MMA Awards. The tw- in 2010, she was also a National Woman Shoot Fighting Champion. She's on a three-fight losing streak and has not won since September of 2019. And she is a Cage Warriors alum. She is a woman of a bunch of ex- exotic um, hobbies, but she's called the Elbow Queen for a reason. She'd be throwing them things. Now, Mayra trains out of shootbox Diego Lima. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She is a Dana White Contender Series Brazil alum. She's on a two-fight winning streak, 
and six of her nine wins are via submission. Now, this fight is somewhat of a clash of styles. You know, Mayra is going to look to get the elbow queen down to the canvas, but she might get a little overconfident when she's striking with Lena. Lena could get you up against the cage, put you in a clinch, exit elbows, could get, get interesting. I am not taking the elbow queen, though. I'm taking Shitara. I'm putting Myra Silva on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on to the main card. We got Jim, A-10, Miller, coming and saving the day. 39 years old with a 35-16 and 16 record, taking on Alexander the Great Ape Hernandez, 30 years old with a 13-6 and 6 record. A lot of almost 40-year-olds here, man. I just turned 30 this summer. I partied this week, and I didn't recover till Wednesday. My voice still ain't recovered. Could you imagine fighting mixed martial arts in a professional cage and 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 stage like the UFC at that age. Props to you, Jim Miller. Fucking props to you. And a short notice fight. If anyone can handle that situation, it's Mr. A-10. But Hernandez, he, he's been a little wild, bit of a wild card of late. He's only 30, though. He's just now entering his prime. He has looked good. He's fought stiff competition. And Jim's looking as good as ever. He said on the Joe Rogan experience, he's got his Lyme's disease under control. It took him a while to figure that out. It affected his performance. And that's probably why he's still fighting. He's like, damn, I feel good now that I got this shit figured out. Now, it's going to take a minute to break through Jim's accolades, but let's go. Jim is a black belt in BJJ. He has a D1 wrestling background out of Virginia Tech as a walk-on. He's a ring of combat and Cage Fury alum. He was a former champion in Cage Fury. He has the most UFC wins in history with 24, the most bouts in UFC history with 40, second most finishes in UFC history, 16. Uh, when he finished uh, Donald Cerrone, Cowboy, he tied him, so now he's going for that lead. Um, I'm sure he wants to retire on top. Most finishes in lightweight division history with 14. He's got the second most submissions in UFC history. 11, tied with Damian Maya, a, a legit submission specialist. He had the fight of the year in 2012. Joe Lauzon was his uh, dance partner. He's got the most submission attempts in UFC history with 46. That's wild. 40 fights, 46 submission attempts. He is on a three-fight winning streak. 19 of his 35 wins are via submission. Three-fight winning streak at 39. Okay, Jim, I see you. Now, Alex trains out of Factory X. He's a black belt in BJJ. He is an RFA and LFA alum. He's on a two-fight losing streak, both of them in 2022. Six of his 13 wins are via knockout. Three of his six losses are also via knockout. Now, I think Jim's going to make the grade eight work. I know Alexander's going to be prepared. He's going to be in amazing shape. And I know Jim's always training, but this short notice just doesn't sit right with me when it comes to playing in his favor. I think uh, the, the great ape in his prime, he has to get a win here. He's on a skid. He's got to keep this, uh, get this dub to keep his, his UFC career moving. For that reason, I am going with the great ape. I am putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Now we got some big dogs. I told you the dogs are coming to eat. 
We got William Nightmare Knight, 34 years old with an 11 and 4 record, taking on Marcin Pracin Procnio, 34 years old. I always want to say uh, Pracino, but it's Procnio. You know what I mean? Um, 34 year old fighter with a 15 and 6 record. Now, both of these guys have flip-flopped from light heavyweight to heavyweight, just like a few earlier. They're looking to get their careers back on track. So this has huge implications for these guys. Now, um, William Knight is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's not just an alum. He's a two-times alum. He fought, got a win. It wasn't enough. He had to keep going. He's a Cage Fury alum as well. He's currently on a two-fight losing streak. Nine of his 11 wins are via knockout. Two of his four losses are also via knockout. Now, Marcin, he's got a black belt in Kaiushin Kai Karate. <laughs> Just reading it. Kaiushin Kai Karate. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He is a one championship alum. He is also on a losing streak, but only a one fight losing streak. And he is 2-1 since 2020, so not super active. 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Four of his six losses are also via knockout. These guys live and die by their sword. Um, again, with so much on the line for both of these dudes, being knockout artists as well, it should be a ton of fun to watch. One, you know, this is a don't-blink affair, and I don't think it'll last that long. The big dogs are eating this weekend. I'm taking, uh, ooh, who am I taking? I'm going to take William Knight, but I am not putting him in a parlay. I ain't doing it. Moving on, we have Josh Parisian, the 33-year-old fighter with a 15-5 record, taking on Jamal, the Stormtrooper Pogues, 27 years old with a 9-3 record. Now we're getting another clash of the big dogs. Josh is a King of the Cage, LFA, and Dana White Contender Series two-times veteran as well. And to put it on top of that, he's also an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak, which was performance of the night, and 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Jamal is a Bellator, LFA, and Dana White Contender Series two-times alum. Talk about adversity. These guys have been fighting everywhere. I mean, Bellator, LFA, Dana White Contender Series, two times, Ultimate Fighter, King of the Cage. These guys, they've been through the ringer. They want that bread. Jamal, four of his nine wins are via knockout. And again, these guys have been everywhere, man. I don't think they could be phased at this, this point in their lives. Um, the Stormtrooper is not even in his prime yet. Josh, you know, he, he's right in his prime. Again, though, a ton on the line. This one should be another banger. Don't blink. When I'm taking the Stormtrooper, we're putting Jamal Poggs on our parlay. we marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And then we get another showdown of some big dogs. Jordan, the Beverly Hills Ninja, right. 31 years old with a 12-4 and record, taking on Zach the Ripper, Pauga. 34 with a 6-1 and one record. Again, big men. They throw heat. Somewhat desperation mode, especially right. He might be fighting for his UFC career. This should be a fun one. 
Uh, Jordan is an orthodox fighter. He has a brown belt in karate. It's hard for me just to say karate. Karate, you know what I mean? He's an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a three-fight losing streak and hasn't won since May of 2021. And seven of his 12 wins are via knockout. Three of his four losses are also via knockout. Now, Zach trains at an elevation fight team. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is seeking his first UFC win. I think Zach finds a way. I'm excited to see both men throw furies of bombs, but I'm going with the Ripper. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And once again, thanks to the Bataestaka, we got Jessica Bataestaka and Draj, 31 years old with a 24 and 9 record, and the number three next to her name. Taking on Aaron Cold-Blooded Blanchfield, 23 years old with a 10-1 and record and the number 10 next to her name. Now, women, they say mature faster than men. But I could tell you what, at 23 years old, if I knew I had to fight Jessica Andrade, there's definitely some mental preparation that needs to be done. Aaron has showed that she could do the impossible she had meatball molly and a crucifix. Didn't land one strike on her. But we're talking Batea Staka. I think this is a tougher fight than Talia Santos. But another short notice, an, another card with a, a, a dropout, another short notice affair for Jessica Andrade. Things are a little bit different for her, taking on a young up-and-coming prospect. So there's not a lot of reward for, for her in this fight. I'm surprised she's taking it. But she 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 don't give a fuck. She don't give a fuck. Now on will Andraj continue demolishing her opponents, or is Aaron gonna shock the world? Jessica has a black belt in BJJ. She has been active in two weight classes. She is the former strawweight champion. She's tied with Rose Namajunas and Amanda Lemos for the most fight finishes in UFC women's strawweight division history with five. She has the most knockouts in UFC women's strawweight history with three. You know, not a lot, but that's impressive. You don't see that very often in the, in the women's strawweight division. She is tied with Amanda Nunez for the most wins in UFC women's history with 15. She's tied with Angela Hill for the most bouts in UFC women's history, 22. We got Jim Miller and Andrade. They're, they're just the fucking invincible the fighters. She has most fight of the night bonuses. Not, you know, not performance and fight of the nights. Fight of the night in women's history, four. Most post-fight bonuses in UFC women's history with nine. She's the only woman in UFC history to win a fight in three different weight classes. She had the first standing arm triangle choke in UFC history. And she had 2022 submission of the year. Right here, Business and Buckets Award. I know there was some good submissions, but the first standing triangle choke in UFC history? Come on now. She's on a three-fight winning streak. She has only lost to the champions Valentina Shevchenko, Rose Namajunas, Zhang Weilei, and Joanna Young Jacek since 2015. She's only lost to champions. Nine of her 24 wins are via knockout, eight via submission. So 17 of her 24 fights via finish for a woman. 
Sheesh. Now, Aaron trains at Renzo Gracie. She's a black belt in BJJ. She is an Eddie Bravo Invitational Champ for Grappling. She's an Invicta and Cage Fury alum. She is on a six-fight winning streak, and her only loss was by Tracy Cortez, who is a current uh, UFC fighter. And she does have a four-inch reach advantage. I think this one is going to be interesting because I think Andrade hits her hard, hits her fast. If I'm a betting man, I just don't think Aaron's going to be able to last. She does. She finds a way to get the fight to the ground. Jessica's still talented on the ground. She is not going to be able to crucifix her like Meat- Meatball Molly. Now we can really see how good Aaron is, though. This, to me, no matter win, lose, or draw, Aaron's putting herself out there. People are going to know about her, and we're going to see how good she can be. She has many years of greatness ahead of her. Um, I'm just excited to see it go down. As a fight fan, you know, mad respect. Let's see what happens. But I'm putting my money on Andrade. Este Pataka is getting that dub. Uh, let's see what the odds are. Is it even worth betting? Let's see. UFC Vegas. Odds. Dang. Uh, Andrade is only minus 148. So it's definitely worth betting. For I thought it was going to be 400 or better, to be honest. For that reason, we're putting Andrade on our parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Now, next weekend, another Apex card. Bleh. We got UFC Fight Night Vegas 70, headlined by Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spann. Main card, 4 p.m. Pacific on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN+, Plus only for the next two cards. I can't wait for the next UFC, though. If I was just had money on trees, I would be ringside. John Jones, Cyril, gone! Let's go! Either way, Volkanovski... Salute to you, my man. Man, Islam, salute to you as well. Let's run it back. See you guys next week.